can hand me one of the books too. This is one of those scriptures that there's a few places in scripture that you know this is true. You know that this is uh, what God wants. But it is so challenging to actually see it. And when you do, it's amazing. You know, it's a, it's a huge breath of fresh air. But you just don't see it very often. And this is one of those scriptures. In Acts chapter 4, <clears throat> um, this, this is right after... Uh, so James and John are put into to prison for preaching the gospel. And then they... They, um, they get out, and all of the believers are gathered together. And this is not very long after the resurrection, right? This is uh, the, everything, of, everything of the death of Jesus Christ is still fresh in, in the community, in the whole setting. And then we know, and there's a, there's a group of people that know of the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, it's quite a large group, but it's not like tens of thousands, although that rumor may have been heard. But it's, it's a group of people that know of the resurrection, but many, many people know of the death of Jesus because he was, he was the biggest figure in that time frame. Except for like the Roman leaders, there's nobody that came close to him and his fame. And I've talked about Josephus before. Josephus knew who Jesus was and knew the accounts of Jesus, but Josephus didn't even live in that area. Um, the, the, I, the best that I can tell... Well, we know Josephus lived in Rome, most likely during the life of Christ. And so news was getting there, and Josephus wrote a big account in his historical record of Jesus. So Jesus was big time. So then he, he, he's killed, he's hung on the cross, and he's resurrected. And then um, within a couple months is when we see this, uh, like two to three month time frame is when we see this event in chapter four. James and John are put in prison, then they <clears throat> are told, don't preach the gospel and they basically say, we'll do what we want to do. You're not the boss of me. And then, um, then all the believers gather together and pray. And they're, they're praying. Remember their prayer. This is just such a profound prayer. I've thought about this so many times when I've, when I've been in different difficult circumstances, specifically under persecution, you know, somebody's attacking you or situations are attacking you or whatever. There's specifically people messing with you. This, this is the one that comes up is they say, um, Lord, you hear their threats against us. Um, give us boldness. I love that because they don't say, you hear their threats against us, um, protect us. That's not a bad prayer, by the way. I'm not saying if they had prayed that, they would have been wrong. That's just, they're in a total different mindset than kind of our natural bent is. Or they're attacking us, protect us. Or, or, or what we even say, Lord, they're attacking us, so, you know, it's kind of the David prayer. You know, destroy them and turn them into a mud puddle, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, David prayed stuff like that all the time, didn't he? Kill them. Um, scatter their bones across the earth, you know, that kind of stuff. Think, think about if I got up here and I started praying prayers like that against people that disagreed with me. Right? I mean, think about it. God, Linda's been treating me difficult this last week. Scatter her bones across the earth, right? That's not, that's not what they pray. Um, they, don't even add, they don't even go down the road of protection at all. They just say, God, give us boldness. 
And it says the Holy Spirit filled them and even shook the building where they were in. And then immediately following this, it says they preached the word of God. Well, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I, again, I think this is important when you're trying to figure out if the, um, your, your, what's called pneumatology or your understanding of the Holy Spirit or your theology of the Holy Spirit. These were the same basic people in Acts chapter 2 that were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says here they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, why theologically, what can you ascertain from that? That this is not a one-time fills-all mentality, right? Wouldn't we gather that simply from that sentence? That these are the same people that were filled next to, so apparently being filled again is how the Holy Spirit does it, right? My stance on this is I believe that we need to, to expect the empowerment and the, the filling of the Holy Spirit every single day. That every, every, you say, well, what if I'm already full? Yeah, I don't think the Holy Spirit's going to be mad if you ask for more. Right? So, so they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we come to this, they preach the word of God with boldness. Now, verse 32 is the part that starts this, this section that I've never seen in my entire life. And I've heard, I've seen in history where this has happened a few times. In history, and then some places that sometimes in history where people like to claim this is what happened, but I don't think it's, it is what was happening. But this is a completely different, unique setting. And I think it's important to recognize that this, this context comes with after two basic things. They, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to preach the Word of God with boldness. When those two things happen, this is the potential outcome and the desired outcome but very rarely is it the outcome. And part of the reason is because the, the concept of us looking um, persecution, danger, and stuff like that in the face and saying, my response is, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to tell my neighbor about you. That's Sunday's message, by the way. Verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind. That's the first one right there that doesn't happen. I, I've been pastoring for 32 years, and... Um, and there's been a few times over the years when I've seen churches really be really connected and united. And I think our church here really is that. Every now and then I hear whispers of people that say, though it's not that. And um, okay, but I think it is. I would disagree with you and say that I think we really are a connected group of people. And in fact, I've had this conversation three or four times just this week is... Uh, you kind of have to work hard around here to not really get connected. You got to kind of work at it. You got to be like one of those people that come in late and leave early, right? Sit on the back row, come once a month. And every time we mention any kind of gathering like the journey or grillers or life groups or men's breakfast or women's um, change clothes with each other events, <laughs> all those kind of things, you got to work hard at not being at those right? you got to basically say, I'm not going to do anything. And then you can come to this, um, this uh, bizarre conclusion that it's hard to get connected. It, it, it just is that thing. Now, with that said, we're still not anywhere close to this verse 32. It's not an indictment against it. It's just the way it is. But the reason I'm reading this set of scripture is because I believe I have seen this in other um, 
parts of the church around the rest of the world. And the more the persecution is, the more you see this kind of thing pop up. See, here's part of the deal with us is we don't really have a lot of persecution. It's growing. We are seeing persecution, but we don't really have persecution in the United States, and we really never have. I'm saying for our, our Christian walk. We're starting to see it. It's, it's completely changed just in my lifetime. It's completely different. I was ranting on Facebook today a little bit. My political Facebook page, they will not let me put anything on it. They will not let me post anything on my political Facebook page. They have locked it. They have banned me because I don't say the right things. So what I did today, because I'm smart, I posted it on my regular Facebook page, and I shared it with myself, and it went through immediately. Because you know why? Facebook's an idiot. Now I'm going to be banned for that. So, yeah. They have algorithms to catch guys like me. But here's what I I know. We are not that greatly persecuted in America. So what happens when you don't have... There are certain things that have changed in the last couple hundred years that have changed the context of the church within Western civilization and not for a positive. Some of it can be positive, but it's it's not necessarily for a positive. We have a disconnect from certain things within our Christian walk that... We're always there for hundreds, even thousands of years. We're always there. But just, in, just since the Industrial Revolution, um, uh, Western civilization and um, advanced countries and even, even developing countries, uh, are, the dynamic has changed enough to change the conversation. Um, and that is, we don't have a, a desperate need for certain things. And then that tells us that we don't have a need for other things, and I'm talking about stuff like real and felt needs, the difference between real needs and felt needs, okay? What's a real need? You have to have air to breathe, a real need. You have to have food. You have to have water, those kind of things. Well, let me give you some more real needs, but, but society doesn't see them this way. A real need is you need to serve God. That is a real need that is actually foundational within your creation, that God created you to know him, to desire to know him, to have a hunger for him, to serve him. And if you don't have that, if you do not serve God, you're going to have um, no way to, uh, to, to take care of that pull of that real need, right? The way we verbalized it before is, is that God puts a God space within you and it can only be filled with God. Well, this is why we, we see such, such weird stuff in society becoming stronger and stronger. It is people that are hungering for something. They're hungering for something, some kind of connection, some kind of spirituality, some kind of some anything. This is, this is why the environmental movement becomes so strong because it's a religion. It's not a... It's not a um, it's not a take care of the planet kind of thing. The people that shout it the most have private jets that cost more in one flight to Europe than my car cost for five years. So, so it's not really about the environment. If it was really about the environment, they'd sell their planes. And Cheryl Crow would use one square of toilet paper. If you guys know what I'm talking about, look that up. But they don't really care about the planet. It's not about the planet. It's their spirituality and their religion that says, I'm going to worship the idea of the planet. Not even really the planet. Because why? God has put this real need within us to know him. And it will never be um, satisfied in any way except with Jesus Christ and his blood. It will never be. Well, here's another real need that we don't realize. But because we are detached from so many things. Let me, let me explain the detached thing. 
Um, we don't grow our own crops. We buy them at Walmart or something, right? I don't buy crops at Walmart. I buy it at King Supers because of the markets because Walmart vegetables are horrible. And so is their meat, by the way. Don't buy your meat at Walmart. It's horrible. I buy stuff sometimes. So, so what happens is, is we, don't, we don't pray over our crops, right? There's, there's a couple disconnects there. We don't plead God for our crops. So rain or hail or those kind of things, when, we, when it hails, we worry about our, our roof and our car. We don't worry about whether we're going to eat for the next six months. You understand the difference in the two? So this direct for thousands of years, we prayed directly over our crops and pleaded with God. Medical uh, stuff. We prayed over our family because we didn't have medicine and hospitals and things like that. We had to plead with God for the health and the safety of our family. Now we go to hospitals. So, so there's another disconnect, right? And, and those aren't bad. I'm, I'm glad we have the medical system. I'm glad we can go to the grocery store and buy something. All this. But, but at the same time, is what it's done is it's given us a couple disconnects from a spiritual dependency upon God the exact same way. If you really think about your existence right now, where is your dependency spiritually? Usually the, the few areas that we have a complete dependency spiritually upon the Lord is in our mental health, emotional health, that kind of thing, relationships, and then depending on where you are, what stage of life, and then where, how, this is cyclical also, is finances, resources, that kind of thing, right? So, so not, not in a direct sense of resources, but in a, is the money in the bank resources? There's already a disconnect there. Rarely do I come across somebody that, 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 unless they own their own business, they don't pray for the company they work for. They pray that God will provide for them financially. They're not praying for the company. Well, if you, if you start your own business, you start praying for your own business. Like, you wouldn't believe you'll start praying for that. If all of that was cut out and we didn't have the Industrial Revolution and the idea that your resources came directly from your crops or your cattle or something like that or something that you can make and provide, you pray for that stuff. Nowadays, we pray for our money. You know, that I pay this bill, that I pay this bill, whatever. Or, or God, help us to buy this house. You know, they, and again, that's not bad. It's just where we are. And then what happens is, because we have those layers of disconnect, we allow that to infringe upon our spiritual walk and our relational walk. And so we have a legitimate, this is a real need. God has said that we must serve him. No, have no other gods before we must serve him. So that's a real need. And the only way it can be satisfied is through relationship with God. We also have a real need for the body of Christ and a relational development within that spiritual walk with God. But because of other things being disconnected, we don't see the dependency upon that like we used to. We don't see this direct need for um, relationships of development within our life. Either in a, in a uh, giving or like the shepherd to shepherding. We don't see that in a direct way that for, for thousands of years we knew was a given. You know, when, you, when, you're, when you're family, you're, as you get older and get married and have kids and then they get older and have you're all living in the same house or the same complex of houses, this, this concept of relational dependency is ingrained within the system. We don't have that in Western society anymore. It doesn't exist. So then... We take it to where we have arrived today, and for some of you that are older, you may not realize the true depth of this, um, this disconnect, but we've got an entire generation now 
that the way they relationally interact is online, on computers with other people. There's not actually face-to-face with a lot of this stuff. And you say, well, yeah, no, but you're still talking to them. It's not the same. You need flesh and blood and face contact with you. You need it, I need it, we all need it. And then you also need, but see, we're way over here on the relational disconnect. So the idea of actually developing mentoring, developing relationships and interconnected, dependent relationships. And you say, well, we're not supposed to be like dependent, codependent on each other. Yes, you are. God designed you to be codependent. It's just because we are so far over here in such a disconnect, our dependency of relationships become unhealthy. That's where we start using the terms like codependency because now it's become unhealthy because our true relational development is not in a consistent, ongoing, uh, face-to-face, daily relational context. It's we're way disconnected, 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 and we really think that we can develop relationships on Facebook. You can't. I saw a meme the other day. I don't remember exactly what it said, but it was something like this. Um, This woman goes into deep depression because... She cannot copy the fake life of her friend on Facebook. I thought, that's tragic, but true. We develop these things, and we say, all this stuff, it's either, most people are basically the same way. Either you're a negative person on Facebook, or you're a positive person, and it's too far either way. You're either too negative, because it's not really how life is. Life is not as negative as some people on Facebook make it sound. And then the other is, it's not as good as what you say, either. And that's how we're actually relating to people because there's a disconnect. Well, then what we do is we disconnect with God and we think we can do the same thing. That I can watch a service and I'm getting the same interaction that I need. I was thinking about this Sunday and, I, and, I, and I'm thinking we talked about this a little bit in our staff meeting Monday, but I'm sitting there worshiping and I'm standing over here and, and, I, and I do this every now I just stopped and listened for when I listen to all your voices and there's something about that. You cannot recreate any other setting. You cannot turn on um, a worship song on Spotify and have that same context. You, you may, the song may be more perfect. The whatever, the, the singing or the instruments are maybe more perfect, but it's not the same as standing beside somebody else and worshiping the same God. You need it, I need it. We have to have that. You've got to hear the voices. You've got to see people. There's, you've got to see other people raise their hands. And then it, you realize you've been daydreaming, and this is a powerful song, and you're not paying attention, and the person next to you is really getting something deep from God. First time I ever saw this, and this is just the way two people were processing. This is not, I'm not picking on my mom, but years ago, I was a kid. I was like 9 or 10 years old. And um, the, the service that day seemed very powerful. I mean, I, I, was, I was really connecting with God. I'm praying, I'm worshiping, crying. I'm really connecting with God. On the way home, my mom said, boy, that was the driest service I've ever been in. And I didn't say anything because I didn't know, you know, at however 10 years old, I didn't know how to process. I was trying to think through that. What did she mean by that? What was I experiencing? Why was that different? It took me a while to realize That you can be sitting in the same space and some people are connecting with God and some people are not. That's choice. That's pursuing. That's heart. That's attitude. And it's also a bunch of stuff that can be added to that from your week and your and whatever. Guys, a lot of it though is just did you come here to worship God or did you come here for something else? 
You need this. Well, we don't see that as much, and so we think we can do, you know, that scripture a day on my phone or whatever the case is. We're missing so much because there was so much accessible to us. We're missing so much when it comes to the, to the depth of what we see in the New Testament in comparison to sometimes what we have because we have everything handed to us. I've always been interested in people that debate um, the style of worship that they sing, and I have my styles that I like and, and all that kind of stuff, but I've always been interested in this because I wonder what style of worship they had when, when, when Paul preached for two hours and the dude fell asleep and fell out the window and was killed, you know, to me that's, I would like to have seen how boring was that sermon, Paul, that he fell out of the window and died. You know, they raised him to life and all that kind of stuff. So then the last part of that says they, they sang a hymn and went home. I want to know what that hymn was. I have no idea. You have no idea. There's a good chance if we sing it today, nobody in the building would like it. Right? We don't know. So, this is what happens. Fill with the Holy Spirit, preach the word. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt like what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. We got to own this. This is not what the church in America looks like. I'm not saying that means we're not saved. I'm just saying they were at a place that we are not. That they understood it at a place that I've never seen. And I've seen some really giving, connected churches in my lifetime, but I've never seen this. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know what testified powerfully means, right? It's not just words. There is the power of the Holy Spirit that, that ignites those words, and then there's also the supernatural that goes along with that. And God's great blessing was upon them all. So here's my question. What is God's great blessing? In today's context, we almost always say it's what? Money. But really? Really? I mean, think about this. If you could, if you could ask me right now the top five things that I really need God to bless me with. They're not money. They're not money, and they'll never be money. Even when the, the, it was, has been the most difficult financially in my life, I, it, the, the, my top of the list was never money. The top of my lists has never been money. It's, it's so many other things, and you get that too, right? Um, when, when you go to the doctor and you find out you have a disease that's incurable, Money begins to be less important, does it not? I mean, there are just, just tons of stuff. And so there was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. I've never seen that. I've seen people do that every now and then. Over years and years, I've seen a handful of people do something similar to that. But this, this complete all-in that it seems to be here, I've never seen this. Never seen this. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That's often the nickname that I'm given, too. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He owned a field and owned... He sold a field and owned the... And, he owed and brought the money to the apostles. Now, here's where I'm going with this. We've been talking about this the last two weeks of what happens when the church can no longer meet together. 
We, we will become dependent upon each other in a way that we are not now and don't have the necessity of right now. We will come, become dependent upon each other's prayers, trust, um, relationship. We become dependent upon other people's relationship with God and them us. Um, the, the, we become dependent on other people's faith. We become um, uh, financially dependent upon each other. In, in different ways, because of all, all of a sudden things that you used to just go out and buy 10 different things, now you can't do that, and you may have one thing, and another family has another thing, and another family has another thing, and all of a sudden you're starting to share resources because of the access to these kind of things. And so life begins to change, and I've seen this many times over the years in very persecuted uh, countries around the world where their, their, uh, their way of looking at each other and the way of understanding connection and um, protection and trust goes so much deeper than, than almost anything I've ever seen or even personally experienced in the United States. When you start having to depend upon other people for the safety of your life, that, that's not really where we are, right? So here is the common question that we keep coming back to, and this is the whole thing with the group needs we were going to go over and James is about to go over, is um, what, are, what are your groups right now that you are, who, people, that you are shepherding and that you are being shepherded by? And then there's also this uh, like mutual accountability kind of stuff where, you're, where both of those are happening together. Some people you just shepherd. Some people you are, you are shepherded by, and that relationship doesn't necessarily change. It can over time. And then some people it's a, kind of a two-way street, more of a, a, a mutual contemporary kind of thing. So who are those people right now? What happens if, if everything goes south right now? Okay, so we've got, we've got two more years till the next presidential election. If things keep going like they're going, just that nothing changing, we're going to be looking at some kind of martial law or something before the next election where one party says the other party is no longer allowed to have a representative to potentially be voted on. That's where we are headed right now as a country. We've been systematically going down this road. And you say, I think that's a little bit of a bridge too far. Well, we're definitely not going the other direction. So, so what happens? What happens if, if martial law is declared and we're not allowed to have some of these same kind of things? We go one day with basic, basic freedoms and the next day, no. We don't have those same freedoms. Did you see, did you see where... Um, that credit card companies now are, are being solicited to, uh, and to, and it's been made law in some states, or close to that, whereas credit card companies, if you buy anything to do with firearms or ammunition or something else, it has to be declared as that and registered with that um, credit card company, which is an in-run around Second Amendment. It's, it's the same thing as saying you've got to register every gun with the government. It's the same concept. It's, it's, and the FBI is going and picking up whoever they want to right now that's connected with Trump. The next thing is, if you have a gun, they'll come pick you up. I've had that conversation with two of the sheriff candidates, 
Neither one of them got elected. Two of the sheriff candidates, and I've had this conversation with three or four police officers. What happens if they say, um, Sheriff, go get, go get the guns? And by the way, the sheriff that is now running on the GOP platform is the only one that said they can have them. We will confiscate them. That's the guy that, that is the Republican person. He said many, many times, I'll go confiscate them, and then the government can figure that out, the lawyers or whoever. Guys, that's, that's dangerous. And I had this conversation with, with Patrick David a few times. You know, what happens if a police officer comes to my door and says, give me your guns? What if it's, what if it's Patrick and he starts coming in? You can say, go get your warrant. FBI's not asking for warrants right now. Did they ask, did they ask um, uh, Pello Guy for his warrant for his phone? No, they took his phone. They didn't ask. They took his phone. They wouldn't even let him back it up. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You've been paying attention to this? They just took his phone. This is a guy that runs a major corporation, and they took his personal phone. They, you, you can ask for warrants all day. What happens when they start coming in your house? These are questions I don't know the answer to, by the way. I'm not, I'm not going to shoot a cop. You understand? So, so my question is, what happens when this starts happening that with us. Who is your support group right now? Not who are you going to plan and maybe someday. Who is your support group now? Who are the people you are ministering to? Who are the people that is ministering to you? And who are the people that you have this connected relational context with? And this is why we're going all over, over all this. It may never happen. But guys, I, at this stage of the game, if you said this five years ago, I'd have said, I don't know. We don't need to worry about this stuff. We're in a different place as a country now. And when it gets to that point, you'll be surprised at how Acts chapter 4 starts becoming real. We become united. We become connected. Yeah, it's your, it's your, your time. Rick, Rick touched it. Thank you. Okay. None of this stuff is new. This did not happen recently. If you look back, the United States created a Department of Education in the early 1900s, and that divided the children from the families. In the 30s, 40s, and 50s, the taxes started to change, and they divided up to where both spouses had to work, divided up the nuclear family. Over the course of time, incrementally, I believe it's a spiritual thing, that over the course of generations, they've been building up to a point where we are now, where people are making decisions, the nuclear family is no longer there, so people around the table talking to God is fewer and far between. Now we're at a point where that hole pastor was just talking about is being filled by our education system, it's being filled by technology, and God is no longer in the picture. Now we're coming up to the next phases where the church itself is, is being looked at a lot more closely than it ever has been. The Catholic Church has been going down a very dark path in the last generation, that this is not unusual. And the Chinese look at the long view, 500 years, 1,000 years to change their societies. We're just in that same boat, but we as a nation have refused to look at it until 
things are starting to get personal, and that's where we are now. When we're looking at this, you know, relationship with the people around us, we need to start doing it if we haven't been doing it already. And we need to take it personally that those to the left and right of you are going to be your support group when things get tough. You can no longer do it by yourself. And we need to face that fact. Um, go ahead with the groups. We were talking, I don't remember where we finished up last week. Thank you. Okay, so when we were talking about the pros and cons, a lot of this stuff was meant to have you question what's going on um, with yourself. Where do you stand? What do you think? And when we're talking about groups, you have to ask yourself, why do you want to meet with the group? Everybody has different needs, and those needs are going to be uh, those needs are going to show you what you bring to the table. And what I mean by that is, are you going to lead the group? Are you going to participate in the group? Are you going to support the group? Um, the group relationships. There's natural leaders in any organization, and even in the small groups, there are people who tend to be the leaders, people who tend to be the organizers. Um, security. You know, nowadays we're talking, the, the phones are listening to us, um, FBI is taking phones, and you notice that they're taking it from the leaders, the perceived leaders of people, which means if they can do it to them, it's easier to do it to us. So we're talking about security. You've got the security of the people in the group, security of your home, security of your livelihood. We need to be asking the questions, how would we do this if it became not acceptable to be meeting as Christians? Would we have to do what they used to do in the past where one person would draw a half moon on the, on the ground and the person they meet up with draws the other half and it actually makes the fish that we see on the bumper stickers? You know, is it a coin that you pass between each other that says, I'm a Christian it's somebody that is allowed in the group. Um, you know, let me throw this out, this out here too. This, this happens all over the world. You understand these are real scenarios around the planet where people don't have the freedom to gather. Well, I was sitting with a, um, I was sitting with a um, political leader the other day in office right now, and uh, they were explaining to me that there are certain words that they'll be talking on the phone, and if they say certain words, their phone will start cutting in and out. And I said, are, are you sure? And they said, yeah, let me, let me call you. So they called me. We're sitting across the room. We had to get far enough away it wouldn't, you know, feedback. Sitting across the room, began to say, we were just talking, nothing's happened at the time. And they began to say certain words, and immediately upon pronouncing some of those words, my phone and their phone began to cut in and out. So a leader in Twitter was up in front of Congress, and the congressman asked him how, how hard would it be to take over somebody's account. This top person in Twitter, I think he was a major engineer, he goes, every engineer in Twitter has the capability and the authorization to take over and be the person who owns that account. So your social media, you know, those who 
fix the machines, and almost any computer person can tell you, given the authorization, they can take over your computer to fix it. That doesn't seem that far-fetched for anybody to say, awesome, I can get my computer fixed, but you've got to turn that around. What capability is that handing people when you're trying to have a private communication with somebody else across, across town, across the country? Right, it's not, it's not far-fetched at all. And so when you're looking at these small groups when you are in your private home, how much security-minded do you have to be to talk openly about your faith and about God's path for you, but still protect yourself from those that want to overhear you? We have people... Um, in our church, they have the, the capabilities. They don't do it, but they have capabilities to hack your phone and listen to your conversations, even if your phone is off. Did you know that? I'm not saying who it is. In, in the past um, several years, you notice whenever you get a new phone, you have less capability to change things within that phone. I have an older phone, which is only a couple years old. I can take the battery out. And unplug it from the wall. And unplug it from the wall. <laughs> but if you look at your phone, you probably cannot take your battery out, which means it <clears throat> always has a charge of some sort, and it is always connected up to the system. No matter what you do, you cannot turn it off. And again, so, we're not trying to sell this to scare you. We're trying to sell this to say, look, just... Be aware and recognize that we are headed a direction that you need to start developing some stuff now. And I'm not saying privacy with your phone. Um, I think there, there's going to have to be a time in the future where you cannot have a, a GPS tracking thing called a phone or, or you, you won't be safe. But I'm saying more relational. Where are you spiritually? Where is the relationships? Where are the people you're shepherding and who is shepherding you? And again, I know this sounds... It's not the way you want to hear it from your pastor. Guys, that's not me. Me preaching to you every week is not the same thing as that, that weekly interaction at your house or something where you're being shepherded. I am providing something that I believe is a biblical thing, but it's more like the way Paul did it when he would go around and establish churches and go to the next place. And It's more of that in a regular weekly basis. I am preaching, I am teaching, and I am providing a shepherding mentality but not the same way as what Scripture is talking about here in Acts 4. You need that face-to-face -face sitting down with people on a regular basis at your house over a cup of coffee and that stuff, regularly, consistently. Who are those people right now? That's what I'm asking. Who are those people? Who are those? Not you say, well, my, my spouse and my kids. Or, no, no, I'm saying more than that. Who is that person you're getting together with at least every week and saying, hey, let's, um, let's get together and have some coffee. Let's talk. Uh, let's go to, you know, our families go to dinner, that kind of thing. Where, where are those relationships? We talk about shepherding. <clears throat> Pastor does an awesome job in shepherding us. What are we doing with that? Are we sitting in the chair, listening the whole time? Or are we actually moving out and bringing it to other people? Even if it's within the church itself, are we taking those lessons and continuing it for our own growth? Go ahead. Okay, so in the situation of a home church, underground or above ground, 
what if we have family members who do not see eye to eye with us, okay, in today's political environment, conservative and a liberal? So if you have that, can you speak as freely in front of that person? Um, I had already mentioned last week, I believe, the Hitler Youth was brainwashed to turn in their own families. This happens in China, it happens in Russia, it happens in many countries. What if those around you don't see the same viewpoint, but you still want to gather with people to talk about this stuff? Some, some of you in here have children, adult children, that would turn you in right now. You, you know who they are. I've talked to you about this. Some of you have adult children that would turn you in to the government if you weren't, if you, if you, if things went like that. You got to process that stuff. You got to think about that. It's scary, but it's it's real. And you have to ask yourself, you know, how far are you willing to go in one direction or the other? And as long as you can ask yourself the question and answer it honestly, it gives you parameters in where you can go, what you can say. You know, it, it's not, well, I wouldn't do this, so I'm, I'm not going to do anything. It's, I wouldn't do this, okay, so let me re, reassess, and what can I do? You know, we can all, everybody always hears me, I don't like people, okay? I still don't. But there, that parameter, though, helps me refocus to where I can participate, I can talk to people. It's just, those are my boundaries, and I know where I can go. Ask yourself, what are your boundaries? What are your, your wills and will nots? And then figure out what you can do and pursue that. Simply asking yourself, you know, in these questions, security, skills you bring to the table. You may not be a good orator, but you can be a great cook, which means you can invite people over and start conversations slowly. It means you can bring food to the gathering. For one, you may have something other people don't, so you're participating. You're helping bring people to the table so that the good orator might be able to start the conversation and you join in where you can or where you're comfortable. It's doing your little piece to help the glory of God. I mean, that's what it boils down to. We all have skills where in a situation like this, if we had to go to an underground church, what skills do you bring to the table that you could support growing the kingdom of God? You know, another thing that just happened a few weeks ago, it was said to be a glitch or, or a problem in the system, but um, Colorado Springs Utilities shut down 30,000 people's thermostats. Did you guys hear about that? 30,000 people in Colorado Springs with, with um, smart thermostats, Colorado Springs Utilities shut them down, turned them off. They said it was a glitch. They said it was a problem. Isaac and I were talking about this a couple days ago, and he said the same thing I think, too. He said it's a test to see if they can. Mm -hmm. It's a test to see if they can. Um, because why? Well, here's one example. When I first moved here, they changed this, actually. Um, this was uh, Keith Keene was going to the church at the time, and he was, uh, just got voted on the city council. And so he actually took this up as an issue. I took this to him. He took it up as an issue, and he got it fixed. But the more water I used, the more 
uh, they charged me. It was a gradient scale, okay? So therefore, if you have a family of two, you pay these rates. If you have a family of seven, you pay these rates. Well, I had a pipe burst. So I paid these rates. Um, and it was one, one month's electrical bill was like $900. And I'm thinking, what? So I call them. They said, well, you, 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 you kept getting bumped up into the higher scale. Well, here's my deal with that is if I pay water and I pay the same rate as somebody else pays water, why the limitation? I'm paying the fee. That's, that's called basic freedom. I'm paying a water fee. You're paying a water fee. If I use a lot and use a little, that's choice. If I have seven kids, I'm going to use more water. If I take showers until my water heater goes out of hot water, I'm going to use more water. Right? You say, well, that's wasteful. I'm paying the same thing you're paying. Call it wasteful because we buy into this socialist wokeness, but it's still, I'm paying a rate, you're paying a rate. Same rate. And they begin to penalize me. Well, what happens is when Colorado Utility says that's not okay, we'll manually shut this off or, or taper it out like internet because we desire to. What, what happens when... Um, you're using too much. Your house is too warm in the winter time. Some of you are cold all the time, right? That's not me. I'm not a cold person. My wife's a cold person. She used to be worse. But, but I, I think it's, you know, like the difference between warm-blooded and hot-blooded people but, and lizards. But they, they, she's cold all the time. So what is she? So she's just not supposed to have warm because she's paying the same rate as everybody else. They have the ability to go in and change your thermostat. If you don't fit the rules, you say, well, that's just, they're never going to do that. Ah, that is so naive to think that. Does, carry this over. If, if you're having a church or you're suspected of having a church, what can they do to make you uncomfortable enough to stop doing that? Right. So, you know, you need to be asking yourself the questions. Are you willing to go through this to have this occur? Where is your threshold of, of pain? You know, if uh, up in Denver, they turned, they turned the thermostat, they took over the thermostats because they felt the need to do that. There was no questions asked to the people they were doing it to, but the people bought into the systems that granted permission, whether they knew it or not, to those who own the systems. We do that with the phones. We do that with our apps. We do that with our Roombas that go around the house. So as we're talking about underground churches or things that we might have to do to protect ourselves to continue what we believe, you need to start asking yourself, how far am I willing to go to continue that? What else? That's about it. Okay, so here's, here's a couple more things I want us to do. You got this piece of paper. Do you guys have that? This is something uh, three weeks ago Rob Cottle was explaining. He got this. There's, some, there's a church uh, here in Colorado Springs. I can't remember the name of the church. But they, they put these packages together. The people in the church put these packages together, and they've got them like a map of Colorado Springs, and whoever has these, these 
packs of stuff, they have them on a map throughout Colorado Springs, um, which, so that other people know, but that's, you know, then everybody knows. But, but either way, I thought there was some good stuff on here. Um, ten hymnals, or however you want to um, look at hymnals, or, or a packet of printed courses that you sing, or things like that. You say, well, you don't need that kind of stuff. Well, you have Spotify. You've got to think different when this stuff's... China doesn't have Spotify. They don't, they don't have access to the same things we have access to. Who, who is, oh, I was talking to um, Paul Reek about this, um, trying to figure out some of the... Um, what's, what's your guy's name that's living with you guys? Kuhn, right? Okay, uh, exchange student from China. And Paul and I were talking about some of the uniqueness that comes along with that. Guys, I would strongly suggest you do this. Um, I know that, uh, I think the Daily Wire has this interview, but I know Prager has an interview with this girl from North Korea that had, had escaped out of North Korea, and then, um, then she gets saved, and then she gives her testimony, and she explains. And some of the basic concepts of, she'll explain this. We didn't know we were being persecuted. We thought the whole world was like this. We didn't know this stuff. We didn't know that, that not everybody had to beg for food and, and scrape together and do all this kind of stuff. I've had, China is not exactly the same, but I've had some of those conversations in China where when you talk about some of the stuff that you have access to in America, they're, they're floored by this. They're overwhelmed by this. Uh, and many countries around the world like this. And so you start thinking of some very basic things. If you, and, and I think that the question James asked is really important. Would you, if things went south tomorrow, would your house be a house that you would open up to or would you go to somebody else's house? Now, here's the interesting thing is, is if you've never processed through this or you've never taken certain types of responsibility within the kingdom of God of leadership and stuff like that, your natural instinct may be, well, I'll just go to somebody else's house. Somebody else will be the leader of this thing. Okay, who? Who is that person? Have you asked them? Do they know they're the leader for you? I mean, we think about this, and, and, I've, and I've said this, and of course I say this all the time. Guys, every one of you have what it takes to be whatever God desires you to be, the, the house leader, the, the preacher, teacher person, every one of you. You say, well, I don't know a bunch of stuff, but you have a Bible. You have a Bible. You can open it up and just go verse by verse and just talk about it. You have what it takes. Who has more than five Bibles? I have more than five Bibles older than the, the 1700s. <laughs> That's cool, huh? I can show them. Some of them are newer here. So, Yeah. Dan? Instantly. Mm -hmm. yeah. They yeah. can and they will do it. I guarantee you. And they know when you're reading the Bible. The, uh, some of the... Please understand that. I can't emphasize that enough. They know, get a 
Yeah, get it. You know, right now you can go into the Bible app and you can keep your notes for the sermons on the Bible app. And I think that's a great thing to do when technology is available. But I also think, you know, just taking handwritten notes of, of things God shows you in Scripture, sermons, um, Bible studies you have at home, take, take handwritten notes. You never know when you're going to revisit that stuff. I've got, I've got notes of every single sermon I've ever preached in my computer, ever. You never know. I don't, that also keeps me from preaching the same sermon over and over, theoretically. No, it doesn't. My kids say I, I only have like five sermons. I just keep preaching them, which is not two. I've got at least 10 or 12. Um, so there's some really good stuff on there, hymnals, Bibles. Um, what Bibles do you have? If right now you had a, your phone, I, everything I do is electronic. I'm even getting to the point where I don't read books um, handheld books, although I love books. There's a, the feeling of a book is like um, currency for me. I love that. I've always, that's why you step into my office, that's not even near all the books I own. Okay? And, and people always ask, have you read all these? Like 95%. Yes, I've read almost every book in my office because I love books. But I, almost everything I do is digital now. What happens tomorrow if you don't have access? Do you have those Bibles? Do you have the, the paper, whatever, paper, whatever you need? You figure that out. Um, gospel tracts, that would be a good thing to have, right? Um, you can still get stuff from Chick Tracks. They still, um, they still, those are the old timey little cartoon book things. You can still get those. Um, that company's still active, but most companies that used to do that really don't do that nowadays. But Chick Tracks are still, they still see it as a priority, and so they stay up with that. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. He's the guy that believes the only way you can get saved is that you confess your sins and repent kind of thing. You have to, you have to confess those sins out loud kind of thing, which I don't necessarily believe, but I don't think it's a bad idea. I don't think you have to have verbally out loud tell everybody your sins. But Yeah, right. No, I'm not, I wasn't saying that to pick on him. I'm just saying I know who you're talking about. Um, preparedness crate for emergencies. This is a good thing. Uh, some of this stuff would be in there, but what, what do you, if something happens right now, basic thing, <laughs> basic things like, um, you know, flashlights, candles. That was a big thing when I was growing up. My parents always had candles, uh, in the house because if the electricity went out, you always had a candle. I don't know if anybody does that stuff anymore nowadays, but it's not a bad idea, right? We're like, yeah, I have candles. I have, I have like 160-something candles in my office, in case you're wondering. And I just got three new ones a couple weeks ago. They're they beautiful. But um, things like candles, you say, well, I've got my phone and my flashlight on my phone. How long? Right? So, so little things like that. When an emergency happens, what do you do? What do you have right now? Uh, where, where do you have stuff? What is it? Aiden? Okay, here's, I think you're mixing two paradigms, okay? Let me explain what I, what I mean by that. When everything gets to that kind of pressure, 
underground mentality, uh, you no longer are going to have those kind of issues like you used to. You potentially are going to have some, but not the same way. When you have people that their lives are in danger or they're in some threat of financial ruin or something else, and that's why they're getting together, the necessity and the urgency of that and the persecution of that drive the, the picture. Not the, the idea that you're going to be in disagreement with each other to the point of turning each other in, that becomes almost nil because of who you are to be in that group in the first place. Okay? Um, you, you don't hear of this stuff in the, the Chinese church and the Korean church. You don't hear of this stuff in persecuted areas because they're, they're, it's a life or death thing. It's an urgency thing. This is the way I used to say it for, for years to try to explain how we in, in just normal church life get caught up so easy. When you have a church that is focused upon Jesus and focused upon the lost, they don't focus upon the paint and the carpet. When you have people that are focused on the paint and the carpet, that's a guarantee that church is not focused on Jesus or the lost. Because there is a different dynamic, a different paradigm, and a different priority list and a different sense of urgency within that. Okay, so, so the reason you don't have this um, disgruntled mentality and you know, church hopping in persecuted context doesn't exist. It's not, it's a non-thing. Because why? You, you, you don't have time for that goofy pettiness. You don't have the, you don't have time for those kind of disconnects. You're sur- sacrificing and surrendering yourself to even get to that place. Um, I, I've preached in places around the world. I preached in, a, in, in Africa and different places where we did a conference one time like a tent crusade is what it was. And, and I didn't know this until like the second or third day into this, but people had walked 40, 50, 60 miles. Some people had walked over 100 miles to get to this service, and they were camping out in the trees. The idea, and then here's another thing, is I prepared messages and stuff, and I was told like right before I got up the first night, and I'm a young man at this time, I, I couldn't preach like I can now. And right before I got up, like 10 minutes before the service, they said, now you know you need to preach at least two hours or these people are going to be upset. And I was like, what? I, I worked hard back in those days to preach like 20, 30 minutes. I worked hard. It's not a problem now. But, but because it's a different mindset. The, con, the mindset or the paradigm that you're d- describing is an American, pampered, lazy, Christian, selfish, humanistic Christian mindset. You don't have that in in most, for the most part, you do not have that in other places around the planet. You don't have people, and this is is one of the most common things that I hear, I've heard it recently, is, well, I, I needed to go to another church because I just didn't feel connected. You don't hear that in the Chinese church. It's not about whether you feel pampered that day. It's about the fact that you snuck in the middle of the night to get to this service and you keep the lights off and you all whisper the entire time and you share one page of the Bible with each other at a time and read down through that and then you pray together quietly and God does some supernatural stuff and then you sneak back. You don't have time to care about whether the carpet is the right color. You don't have time to care about whether so-and-so hurts your feelings. Those are two different paradigms. And the people who are showing up to this underground church are, are running the same risk that you are. 
Yeah. They rat on you. They were part of that church too. They're part of it. So, so we, we have such a selfish, self-focused Christianity in America that it's going to take us months to switch gears. Months and months to switch gears. But when you're being threatened with your power and electricity turned off, if you go to somebody's small group, here's another thing is it really does separate the sheep from the goats. You'll see who really loves Jesus and who is just coming to church. It really does separate that. The people that are going to be griping at each other probably are not going to be going to those groups. Why would they? It's all about them to begin with. I, this, is one of my, this is one of the things that I have to deal with as a pastor. It used to bother me like crazy. It doesn't bother me the same nowadays. But people will come to me and say, I'm pastor, I had to go to another church because I'm just not getting fed. Whatever. Go. I don't care. Those are, those are petty little, those are selfish, humanistic driven. I, this is about me. It's about me. It's about me. You've heard me quote this. Um, try to think of his name here in a second. But he wrote Crazy Love. Francis Chan. I heard him say this one time in a service. He said this lady came up to me after, after, came up to him after church and said, you know, I just didn't really enjoy the worship today. And he said, it's a good thing we weren't worshiping you. I'm like, why didn't I hear that 20 years ago? I love that. Because that's, I want to say that, well, I just didn't enjoy worship today. I want to say, I don't care. I did. Me and God had a great time. Well, the music, I, I wasn't really thinking about the music. Well, the, the songs, I wasn't really thinking about the songs. Well, the sound, I wasn't really thinking about the sound. The lights, I wasn't thinking about the lights. Well, the person in front of me, I wasn't thinking about the person in front of me. Me and God had a great time. I just, we just have such a goofy Western Christian thinking that when the persecution happens, that's gonna, that stuff's going to drop off like dead skin. And, and there will be people that are going to have to really renegotiate who they are with Jesus Christ. And probably for the first time, and I'm saying church people, pastors, church leaders, denominational leaders, seminary leaders and professors, many people are going to have to come back to the foot of the cross, which they may never have even come to ever. And some of them had left it so long ago, and they're going to have to come back to the foot of the cross and realize that it is level at the foot of the cross and that they have to submit and surrender to the king because they're not actually the king. And that's going to be a very eye-opening moment for many people across the United States. So one of the things on the list was a, uh, a crate of, how is the terminology? Emergencies. So a crate for emergencies. One thing you have to understand, too, a lot of people, if the church is going underground, there's a whole lot of other dominoes falling. And we're already seeing that with supply chain and all this stuff. There are going to be people coming to you because they know, they may not say anything, but they know you're a Christian. They know there's something special about you. They're going to be looking for help. You need to decide, you know, are you going to be able to help people who are coming to you in need, um, either to share the gospel of Christ or to help them to the next day because they're in much greater need than you are. So as you're preparing for the church, you know, understand where your family is prepared at the same time. They also have on here some things like a favorite Bible verses pamphlet, 
Um, 100 words every Christian should know, Pamela. Those are the kind of things that become very specific for you, you know. Um, I don't have either one of those things. It does say Strong's Concordance, Expository Dictionary. Those are great things to have. Strong's or Young's Concordance. Here's what um, I know that there's a lot of you in here that have never seen a Strong's or a Young's Concordance. Don't know what it is. That's okay. Um, go, go online and just buy one. They're kind of expensive because they're big. It'll probably be 40, 50 bucks for a, a good Strong's or Young's. And then once you get it, bring it to me and I'll show you how to use it. It's not just if you get one, you open, you're like, I don't know what it, the, what are these numbers? What are the, the uh, but the what? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good place. Tattered bookstores, secondhand stores. They have, you'd be surprised at some of the Bible books and resources. I have just gold mines sometimes that you can find there. Um, but these are the kind of things you say, well, can't my computer do all that? Uh-huh. But you might need to think different. You know, that kind of thing. So um, Bible charts, maps, timelines, those are okay too. They, I don't think those are as necessary, but they're good. Um, a radio, I think that's going to become a thing again. We're going to have to have those kind of things. Um, if, I, if I'm on a radio show, do you guys want me to tell you? Yeah? Okay. I've got some. What? Just sneak out there and do it. That's right. Uh, an extra battery. You know, uh, James sent me a thing that is really cool. It's like a battery he built that does stuff. Um, tell us, James. So for camping, when we go camping, Beth uses a CPAP. I refuse to because I'm lazy. But um, this battery, it's, it's a low-discharge battery, a marine battery, and it's hooked and in this ammo can, it's hooked up to different connections to where we can plug in different appliances, charging phones, using a CPAP. Um, a small solar panel will charge it up, and it's very convenient for small appliances for whatever needs you have. So like this radio, which could be a ham radio, um, several different types of radios to get short wave. A battery pack like that, it's a plug-and-go versus exchanging batteries or recharging the batteries to put into these things. Um, it's used mainly by ice fishermen when they're out in the boonies. It's an all-in-one thing that's really, really nice. It's about $100, but it has proved very, very exceptional for us. What did you say? He built it. Yeah. No. You mean dollars to make? Oh, oh no. The, uh, the battery was about 100 and then the thing ended up being like 120 But it's very, very valuable, especially as things are going rolling, blackouts, things like that. Um, it says here communion box. Um, my thinking on that's a little different. I think communion box made for special events. But you understand if the disciples didn't carry a communion box around. All right. They celebrated Passover, but also communion, according to Scripture, can be just dinner that you're having with other people, that you stop and you do these things during dinner. It doesn't have to be formal uh, stuff like that. Okay. In fact, I, I've talked about this when I, when I preach on communion, but really I talk mostly about this like at the journey. 
my house is some of the different kinds of ways to do communion with family and stuff like that. I think families should be having communion together. Um, couples should be having communion together. Well, you can do that over dinner. It doesn't have to be at a church with a little tiny thing of grape juice and a plastic cracker. It can actually, you know, be steak and some iced tea. I, years ago, I said it can be cheeseburger and a Dr. Pepper, and a guy left the church over it. I thought, because you don't, you don't understand what I'm saying, but either way. So, binder with sermon notes, a map of regional church members. Those are the kind of things where you have to be careful. That's what Aiden was talking about. Um, I, we're not at that place, but there is going to be a time when if you know where other Christians are hanging out, that actually, that actually becomes secret. And so, I don't know. This, I just think this list is unique. It's interesting. Maybe you add things, take things from it. This wouldn't be my list, but there are some things on this list that would be on my list. And, and that kind of thing. So let me, let me finish this with this. I mentioned this um, last week or the week before. So this is a booklet. We have them now. Um, this is a booklet that you leave in your house after you are raptured. And it's a great book. This is what it's designed for. It's, it's a church in uh, California. New York prints these. Now, they are getting so much demand for this that they are very limited. That's why it took us like a month to get them. Okay, Russell ordered them. Um, and they cost what? A dollar piece. All right? Here's the thing. We will give them to you for free. But we would like you to give money because these people do this and it costs them money. Okay? Russell paid for these. Give Russell a dollar, but we also as a church are going to get some of these uh, from this company and pay the company because we want to make sure the company, I mean the church, it's, they, have the, they get reimbursed for it. But they see it as a ministry, okay? But what you do is you put these um, in your bag of beans at the house. If, if you got, you're a prepper, put it with your stockpile. Yeah, wherever your stockpile of food is going to be, you put that. If, the, if, you get, if you've got a pantry that you keep stuff in, put this in your pantry because that's where everybody's going to go after you're raptured. You say, really? That's kind of silly. Unless your child shows up at your house because they know you have beans and this. Yeah. This is, it is designed for the people that are still here. I think it's cool. Okay. So if you want one, we have a whole box of them over here, like 100, right? We have a whole box of these over, over here. And we've already had, because I said it last week or the week before, we've had people online that have already been emailing, asking for these in, in, uh, around the country in different places because I have a huge following. And, um, <laughs> and so we're going to be sending the, those to them too. And we're also, if you want to know who the company is, uh, it's, it's on here on the thing in case you want to like order five or ten and send them to your kids or something like that and actually give money to the company, I mean to the church. Um, so, Dan. I don't know. No. This is all they do, right? Okay. So I think it's cool. I think it's interesting. So guys, again, to push you with this, the major reason we're doing this is where are you right now? What's your trajectory? Let's say if you knew right now, five years from now, you're not going to be able to have church together anymore. Um, Ten years from now, we were gonna, the church was going to be underground. What trajectory are you on right now to take you into that place? What if it was a year from now we were not going to be able to have church and buildings anymore? You understand, if, if our governor right now had free reign, he would shut every church in Colorado down. He has made that very clear. 
Um, if our president had free reign right now, he would shut churches down. You know what's stopping him from doing that? Us. First Thessalonians 4, the church. So, so um, be thinking about this. Uh, what is your trajectory? Who are you shepherding? Who is shepherding you? All right? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your, your amazing grace. We thank you that um, you really do love us. You, you are going to protect us. I, I do believe that, that as Christians, we really are under your protection. And Lord, I know that it rains on the just and the unjust, but I just know that you said you will protect us. But God, even more than protect us, you want to use us. And you want our lives to be poured out as a drink offering for you. God, I ask you to, to help us right now, every one of us in this room, in our spirit, in our mind, to start catching on to something that's bigger than us. Catching on to this, this living, breathing body of Christ across the world. This kingdom that you are building that will never end, that you sit on the throne of this kingdom and it will never end. And Lord, I, I want to be part of this kingdom not just as, as a spectator, but Lord, I want to be an active participant and builder of this kingdom. So Lord, I pray that for every one of us in here. Stir our hearts to think, who am I shepherding right now? Intentionally shepherding. Who am I being shepherded by right now? Lord, help us to think this in the process. Lord, help us to start with our family, our, our, our children. Our, um, our relatives. Help us to start with our close friends. But Lord, also help us to realize you've called us. Every one of us in this room, you've called us for, for a bigger circle than that. And to, to investigate what that circle is. That there are people at, at our workplace that this is, is including. That there are, there are some of our kids' teachers are included in this. That there are people all around us that are included at this. Our neighbors that are included in this. That you have actually already give them, given them um, us as their shepherd. You've already called us to be their shepherd. You've already anointed us to be their shepherd, and the covering is already there. But Lord, we haven't stepped into it. So stir our hearts to step into that and to own it, to take it and to own it. God, we, we thank you that you even use us this way, that you trust us enough with your gospel and your word. We thank you for this. And we pray all of this ultimately for you, for your glory, for your name to be declared. And we pray it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks to James. Um, James says he has some stuff out there, some papers, resources, if you, if you want it. And also, if you ever just want him to kind of do a personal with you assessment of, your, of you and what's going on, talk to him about it. He'll, he'll help you out with that. You know, like if you're saying, well, what do I need for this? Or what are, just talk to him about it. It's what he does. So utilize him.